So last Sunday we were snacking on ribs, and this Sunday we're talking about three little pigs. I figured we should just continue this theme of pork and uh, the consumption of pork. Uh, three little pigs, right? You're all familiar with the story. Uh, it, re- it was originally printed in about 1840, but they believe that it was, uh, came about before that. Uh, in 1890, Joseph Jacobs uh, printed English fairy tales in which the classic James Hallwell Phillips, Three Little Pigs, appeared. Do you realize that the Three Little Pigs original story has the first two pigs being eaten? <laughs> Speaking of snacking on a rib. It's uh, a terrifying story, actually, uh, if you think about it. Uh, hey, kids, let's uh, talk about this nice little story before we go to bed, especially kids living in the North Woods. Uh, there's a wolf that's prowling around, and if our house isn't built properly, he's going to come in and eat us. Good night. <laughs> go to bed. It really became popular in 1933 when Walt Disney took it over and, and came up with the names for the three little pigs. Before that, there were three names for the pigs that were based on um, color, and uh, I think Disney realized that was not a good thing. Have you read the uh, 1993 version where it's the three little wolves and the big bad pig? I mean, there's always two sides to the story, right? They build three houses, and then they build a fourth house that is made of flowers, and, and the pig smells the flowers and is forever changed. And the wolves and the pig are friends. So nice. Maybe we should start telling that to our kids. There's also one that appears in L.A. Um, that's a different type of story um, that I will not bring up today. So we continue in this uh, series uh, with Sennacherib and, and this continuation of 36 rolling into 37. We see it as really as this one big uh, event. So last week, you know, uh, Sennacherib is throwing threats through uh, the Rabshake at Hezekiah and the folks that are fortified in the city, and, and we see Hezekiah's response. Uh, chapter 37, page 596. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Elakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshake, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So it's interesting. Hezekiah is, uh, he's kind of freaking out. He's mourning. He, they're tearing their clothes. He is terrified of what is taking place. He is afraid of the 185,000 plus folks that are hanging out outside the walls of the city and are going to invade. And it's interesting because he sends his people to Isaiah, and we see the prophet Isaiah, the first time we've actually seen that word or that title for Isaiah in the text. 
And how do they respond? They send this message. And they say, it may be that the Lord your God will do something. And Hezekiah has this kind of far-off view of how this thing works. He is freaked out, and he's like, hey, you, professional uh, God person, Isaiah, this prophet, you need to go to your God, and you need to make him do something about what has taken place. And it's a very interesting perspective, because how often is it that we come to a, a place of a crisis in our lives, and we think that, well, Eric, you need to go to God on my behalf because you have some sort of special access to God. Uh, I hate to tell you, no special access here. <laughs> I made a joke one Wednesday night that uh, this idea of professional ministry, in my case, is like semi-professional. I don't have any special access to God. We all have the same access to God through Jesus Christ. It's that Hezekiah doesn't see God in this close-knit relationship, he sees him as this far-off person. But he is afraid. There is no doubt about it. He is afraid, and it is causing action. What causes us to be afraid? We love to watch videos, right, of people being scared. It's like the, the person's sleeping, and, and they're videoing, and the kid sneaks in. Have you ever had this happen to you? Maddie loves to do this to me. You know, it's 10 o'clock on a Friday night. I'm tired. I'm sleeping in bed. She'll come in and wake me up and scare me. Why is that funny? It's not funny. It's not funny. Except when you watch other people do it and then you just die laughing. You're like, that was hilarious. Ah, we love to watch people be scared or be afraid. Because scare tactics are the supreme motivator. I mean, look at what we are hearing on a weekly basis. This marketing strategy, the appeal to fear. And it's effective. I mean, how many times have we talked about the coronavirus in the last two weeks? Every single day. And yet, on February 7th, the CDC lets us know that 19 million people were affected with the flu, 180,000 of them were hospitalized, and 10 people had already died as of February 7th. And yet we're terrified by the coronavirus. (laughs) And the best thing is the CDC is like, if you don't want to get sick, just start by washing your hands. terrifying sometimes when you're in the bathroom and you watch the person walk out i was in target on friday and i was like i wanted to grab this guy dude wash your hands like you are the problem (laughs) fear is a crazy motivator when was the last time fear derailed some of your plans this last week the kings and queens of corbett's was going on at jackson hole and corbett's coolar is this this famous run at Jackson Hole, it starts with a 30-foot cliff uh, or thereabouts, depending on how much snow is there. And the first time I went there, uh, I was like, okay, yeah, not. You know, everyone, you're all pumped up, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Then you ski to the edge, and you're like, not going to do this. 
Don't want to ruin the trip. Don't want to ruin my life. <laughs> uh, when was the last time that fear derailed your plans? Maybe it was stepping into a new job opportunity. Maybe it was talking to someone new, inviting someone to your home, or being vulnerable with a friendship. But we have this fear that creeps up in us, and we're afraid of what might transpire. Last night I was sitting uh, after dusk. I'd gone out to watch the sunset on the swamp, and I was sitting uh, on the daybed with Murphy, my dog, right next to me. And I was thinking about this, this question, what am I afraid of? People often are like, Eric, you're not afraid of anything. Oh, actually, yes, I am. First thing I came to mind was I'm afraid of screwing up my kids. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty real fear. They're like, well, sorry, Dad. Uh, it's already happened. <laughs> I'm afraid of disappointing other people. I'm afraid of not making an impact. What are we afraid of? Because Hezekiah is afraid for his life, and so he goes to Isaiah so that Isaiah will go to God. Yesterday I was listening to How I Built This with Guy Raz, and he's talking to uh, Andy Dunn, the, the founder of Bonobos. You know, the, the started by, they started by making pants. However you fit, Bonobos fits you, is their slogan. And he says, sometimes when you are the most afraid is when you are making one of the most important decisions. If it's not scary, it's not hard. And I was like, amen. Wyatt looks over, what? Yeah, you're not paying attention. Just listen to your AirPods. But what makes us afraid and what motivates us? And then how do we respond to that fear? Hezekiah is afraid, and so he sends his people to Isaiah. And when the servants of King Hezekiah, verse 5, came to Isaiah, Isaiah says to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshake returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, and he had heard that the king had left Lashech. Now the king heard concerning Taraka, king of Cush, he has set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria? Behold, you have heard what the king of Assyria has have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Hera, Rezpah, and the people of Eden who were in Telsar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvim, the king of Hena? Or the king of Eva. So the guys show up to Isaiah, and it's fascinating because Isaiah doesn't say, Let me get back to you. Let me 
uh, go to God on your behalf and let me get back to you. No, Isaiah already knows the answer to give to Hezekiah. He's like, have you not been listening to all the things that I've been saying? Have you not been listening to the things that I've been saying? Do not be afraid. I have your back. I am here to protect you. There is no reason to fear this king, this worldly power that is darkening your door and trying to strike fear into your life. You do not have to be afraid. Louis Giglio, in his book, Goliath Must Fall, he says, we need to relegate our fear to its appropriate place, the other side of Jesus. Worship and worry can't occupy the same place. They can't both fill our mouths at the same time. One displaces the other. The antidote to fear is faith, and the soundtrack of faith is worship. Hezekiah is afraid because he's got 185,000 plus men hanging out outside his walls. And, and as the Rabshake reminds him, hey, we have wiped out nation after nation after nation. Have you not seen what we have done? Are you, you really think that this is going to be different for you? Because that's how fear works, right? You know, we respond to fear, and it reminds us of all the times when things have gone wrong. You know, this idea of being vulnerable in a relationship, fear reminds us, well, remember when you were vulnerable with that last relationship and you opened yourself up to, to that person and what did they do? They hurt you. They shared your secrets. Remember that last time that you were, you were open to, to that faith community and that person stabbed you in the back. Fear is a liar and it speaks these words into our minds to remind us of all the times in our past when it hasn't gone well. And the Rabshake is rem reminding Hezekiah, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who we are and how powerful we are? But God has given them this truth. He's like, I got this. I've got this. He's going to hear a rumor. And he's going to return and things are not going to go well for him. And the Rabshake responds. And Hezekiah, when he receives this letter in verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And how does he respond? Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. 
So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. We see this change. We see this profound change in Hezekiah's life. And it makes us ask, how do we face our fears? How do we face the things that we are afraid of? Early on when our kids would have a nightmare, someone said what you need to do is they need to speak out against the nightmare. They need to call it out. Like, you have no authority over me, whatever that nightmare may be. How do you face your fears? Hezekiah has gone through this profound transformation. He has known at a cognitive level that God can provide for them and can protect them. He's even known it on a governmental level. You see them, they're not really responding to these threats. Deep down, in a cognitive way, Hezekiah knows that God is going to protect these people. But we see this shift. We see this shift to a personal level. Because Hezekiah doesn't go to Isaiah with the letter and say, I thought you were going to deal with this. He goes himself to God with this letter, with this thing that is causing all of this fear in his life, and he lays it before God, and he speaks truth about who God is in his very nature, in his very essence. And he makes a request of God. Incline your ear. Hear, open your eyes, and see. And why is he making this request? On what grounds is he making this request? That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Where do we go when we're afraid? You know, when my kids would be afraid in the middle of the night, one of them would would come into our room, the other one would stay in their room. You know that feeling, right, parents? Middle of the night, you hear, Mom! And if you're the first one that wakes up, you pretend you're still sleeping (laughs) by taking deeper and deeper breaths, like the fake sleep breathing. You know you're being convicted. Mom! And if Dad wakes up hearing, Mom, Dad says, "Ah, Hey, they're calling for you. If mom wakes up hearing, Dad, she gets out of bed and goes and deals with it. (laughs) What do we do when we are afraid? Do we crawl under the covers? Pull the sheets up over our head and hope that things will pass? What do they do in the movies? They crawl under the bed as if that's like some secret spot that no one knows about? Do we crawl into a bottle? Do we go onto the internet? Do we crawl into a tub of Ben and Jerry's? 
hoping that the fear will go away. You know, each and every Sunday we talk about these cards, um, some would say ad nauseum. And these cards are an opportunity each and every week for us to cast our fears onto paper and to bring them to God and to lay them at His feet and say, God, I am afraid of this. Would you please take this? The interesting thing, though, is how often are our requests for ourselves. God, heal me so that I can do this thing. And, and Hezekiah's request is not for himself. It is for the glory of God that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. It's amazing the scary things that we deal with on a daily basis. It's terrifying. If I think about it for too long, I can just immediately begin crying. <laughs> because the fears that exist in this life can be overwhelming. But when we bring them to God like Hezekiah does, things change. The challenge is, tomorrow is a new day. And we're going to see Hezekiah, you know, gold star on this time. Next time, we'll see. Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, verse 21, sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the Lord, and you have said with, my, with many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, to cut down its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, to come to its remotest, remotest height, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters, to dry up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not determined that I long ago, determined it long ago, I planned from days of old, what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before it is grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. This reminds me of Rocky V. Rocky and Paulie are in the diner. Tommy Gunn comes in and he wants to fight Rocky. And he knocks Paulie down. And what does Rocky say? He says, you knocked him down. Why don't you try knocking me down? And everyone's like, yes! Rocky's back! God's like, here's the deal. 
You think that you can terrify this king? You could terrify my people? Let's not get this twisted. I have done all of this. I have used you as my pawn to do all of this. And because you have raged against me, we've got a little piercing to do. (laughs) I'm going to put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. And we have this very challenging theological question because it says right in the text, because you prayed to me. And so we wrestle with this question of, would God have answered Hezekiah if he hadn't have prayed? Would God have responded and saved the remnant if Hezekiah wouldn't have prayed? And then we move that into our lives and we think about all the times that we have prayed for things and God hasn't answered in the way that we would want Him to. And so at times we get fed up and we say, well, why would I even ask God for this? Because He has not answered my previous prayers. Or He hasn't answered them more accurately in the way that I thought He should. And we wrestle with that. And we hold that intention. I acknowledge that. And I love to to ask these questions. But we have this case where Hezekiah is afraid for his life and the life of his people, and he goes to God, and God says, I got this. I've got you. Do not be afraid. And then he He goes on, he says, And this shall be the sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows to itself, and in the second year what springs from that. Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward. This is an amazing verse. Shall take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. No matter what he does, He can huff and puff all he wants, and God's like, hey, I got this. We are going to be safe. And then, just like that, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 people in the camp of the Assyrians. I would say that's a decisive victory. You kill the whole army, that's decisive. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all dead bodies Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. Bye, Felicia. And then 20 years passes in an instant, and as he was worshiping in the house of Nisarek, his god, his two sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, his son struck him down with the sword, and after they escaped into the land of Erat, Esardin, his son reigned in his place. God makes sure that this is going to happen. 
And the reality is that to fear is human. To be afraid is a human condition. If you're not afraid of things, you have, you have a problem. <laughs> Yesterday, out on Wyatt's snowmobile, I was out putzing around in the woods because he was out at ski golf. And I was reminded of this advice that he got from our friends CJ and Dan. Don't look at the trees or you will hit them. It's great advice. Look beyond the trees to where you want to go. I mean, it's the same thing on a motorcycle, right? Where your head goes, the motorcycle goes. And in the same way, may we not look at the things that are causing the fear in our lives. As Giglio says, we need to look at Jesus and not the things that are causing the fear in our lives. Because we all know fear is at our doorstep every single day. And the voice of the world is in our ear every single day. And the question is, are we hearing what God is telling us? Or are we hearing what the world wants us to hear? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this day. We come to hear from you. We come to hear from your Spirit. We come to lay our requests before you, our fears. and ask that you would take them this day. Take our fear that exists in our lives today. Help us to move them on the other side of the cross so that all we see is you. All we see are the open arms of Jesus inviting us to be in relationship with you. Remind us of that today and tomorrow and each and every day when we wake up. To not be afraid of this world, but to hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite the